0: thoughts podcast this is your host franklin today i'm joined by my guy Cole. how you doing Cole?
1: good man thanks for having me on i appreciate
0: it uh how's how's covid been for you
1: uh blessing and a curse you know i get to work from home some people aren't working at all so i feel blessed to at least have a job but my bosses want me to move to la and that that ain't about to happen no time soon (laughs) (laughs) wait where's your job at what'd you do so I work for Whistle Sports and I'm a part of their social media team for Whistle and Brother HQ. So okay. I'm just handling the IG, the Twitter, the TikTok, all that good stuff. And eventually they want to move me into like full time, like out there when they go on shoots, that kind of thing. Yeah. But pandemic slowing all that down. I'm being Cleveland for a while.
0: <laughs> That's a cool link up though. Did you get that through your social media account? Because I know you have a pretty solid following right now on Twitter. Was it just like people linking you or did you like build those relationships like walk me through that real quick
1: so it's kind of crazy how everything got started for me um i was just tweeting trying to get jokes off like everybody else and eventually i found i feel like you know big business you know biz his account (laughs) the legend the goat so i would just like comment under his bit like his tweets and eventually he he like followed me and when biz follow you and start retweeting your tweets, that's yeah, when stuff, stuff get crazy.
2: Yeah.
1: And then a couple of the guys like Trevor Trout, uh, M Josiah Johnson, all those guys, they kind of they like like my tweets, so they put me in the they put me in the elite chat. And everything just kind of took off from there. I started reaching out to guys that were doing stuff in social. Like Josiah is the king of social media, especially right now, yeah, he's,
0: he's running that right now, just crazy.
1: He he'll pump something out and it's like twenty thousand, like 30,000 likes, easy.
0: Yeah, within an hour. In an hour,
1: like killing it. <laughs> yeah. So I I was asking all those guys like, hey, you guys think I could do like the whole social thing? And it was all like, hell yeah, bro! Like who you, who you need us to th- link you up with so we can get you a, so we can get you a job somewhere?
2: Yeah.
1: Interviewing places, uh, talking to people, and my guy Philip Barnett plugged me in with brother, and then I just been doing my thing over there.
0: How how how's that inter like how is that intertwined with your social life right now? Like, how are you dealing with like the nine to five grind, keeping up with social media? I know you said you're, you're getting into podcasting a little more seriously. Like, how is that working? Because I work at nine to five, and I was talking to someone who just recently started a podcast, and it's hard. It's tough. It's tough it, out here. It is tough, and
1: what makes it even tougher is that Monday through Friday, I can't really do it because since everything is like West Coast based, my day starts at noon and it doesn't end until eight yeah so that's like when people are like trying to get like the podcasting done yeah i'm still working i still got stuff to do so like i can't do it but it's definitely tough but it's still fun man because at the end of the day i'm doing something that i actually really like doing and like love doing so you know i I just try to make time for people when i can and i hope they understand sometimes if i can't (laughs) if i can't do it (laughs)
0: So walk me through the uh, the elite media, you know, that family, that group and, you know, just what that means, because my listeners might not be aware of what that means on social media in regards to sports. But, you know, you and I do since we follow similar people and I've had conversations with Trevor on social media and you've obviously had more interactions with them. But just like walk us through you know, what that is and how you guys have been um, you know, kind of getting into that space.
1: So the goal for elite when Trev started it and was bringing everybody in and figuring out who can do what, as far as like divisions, we're talking about football, basketball, boxing, even music and just things with our cultures. We wanted to give a voice to people of color. You yeah. kind of feel like, you know, sports is kind of lacking in having people that look like us talk about the things that we're a part of, especially when you're talking about like the NFL and the NBA and hip hop we just kind of wanted to give a voice to people of color to be able to tell our stories and our perspective on these things. And that's how, kind of how like we built everybody up and the accounts rolling now.
2: I think it's yeah. almost
1: at like 8,000 like 8, yeah, yeah, They're up there.
2: <laughs> they're up there. It's
1: <laughs> rolling now. So it, it's really cool to see people like interacting with us and supporting us and wanting us to continue doing what we're doing, whether that be, you know, the elite media account or us individually, Because we all got our own different things going on and working for different companies and trying to bring in as many people of color as we can so we can get other people to doing other things. I wouldn't have the job I have right now if it wasn't for them. So we're really big on trying to make sure that people that look like us have opportunities in sports, whether it be on social media teams, as writers, you know, whatever you want to do. If we can help somebody do that, that's what we want to do.
2: Yeah. So.
0: You know, I've been paying attention for the last couple of months and I've seen some progress and some really big highlights with the, the team and what they've been doing. Um, I believe it was one of your podcasts, well, one of the elite media affiliated podcasts I had Kevin Durant on um, in the last six months. You know, how did that come about? Like, how did you guys lock in that interview? So Katie's
1: really cool. And that was the um, the play for keeps pod with Cam and Drew. Love those guys. They um, they reached out, you know, because Kevin and. Bansky do their podcast together and Bans, AKA Eddie, for people who don't know, he, you know, they reached out to him and they were able to set that up with set that up with KD and that was so dope. Just to, just to have like yeah. top three player in the league just on your podcast just talking about whatever is amazing and they're going to have a lot, they're going to have a lot more guys coming up on the Play for Keys pod and everybody should check that out because they do really, really good interviews over there.
0: OK, awesome. So um, and I know that <laughs> I love the Kendrick Perkins shout out in regards to this topic. But uh, Amani Bates, um, a couple weeks, a couple months back, you know, his his sort of crowning as the next, you know, big thing in basketball. You know, how did that how did that come to fruition? Like who who's in the who's in the camp right now that's talking to, to Kendrick, putting him on game right now?
1: Listen, man, I, I I ain't allowed to talk about all this stuff. Um,
0: <laughs>
2: I
1: ain't allowed to talk about all this stuff, but shout out shout out to Perk though, because Perk's super cool. You know, that's the homie. You know, he always when he shouted us out on ESPN, like dog, that was the the, the timeline was like what? Like who are who are these people, and why is Kendrick why is Kendrick Perkins talking about them? <laughs>
2: like, yeah.
1: That was a that was awesome and and perk super cool and like I said man there's certain things I can't really get into because I don't want them guys like yelling at me but shout out perk <laughs>
0: um so yeah the Kendrick Perkins shout out on live TV was probably one of the biggest first few moments for me where I was like okay Elite Media is really getting some traction um getting some of the momentum that you want to see and I definitely like appreciate you know especially from. You know, the background of being, you know, a person of color working in corporate America, seeing a platform sort of built around and for, you know, people of culture um, and people of color. Um, talk to me about, you know, where you see your career headed in the next you know, couple of years, especially dealing with everything that's been going on with COVID. And, you know, where where would where would the cold brand want to go in the next couple of years?
1: do I have a brand? Like, I I feel like I don't know if, I feel like I don't have a brand per se. I still kind of feel like I'm just that dude just making funny jokes on Twitter.
2: Yeah.
1: Like I, I, I still feel like that majority of the time, but I would like to see myself. And I think anybody who works on social media would probably say the same thing. Like the head of a social media department or the head of a social media team. Yeah. Just like making sure that I want to learn everything I can, especially from guys like Phil and Kevin on my team. So one day that I can kind of take that over and be like, hey, this is the direction we need to go in. This is how we can best utilize our platforms to reach other people, gain followers, and do cool stuff. Um I know like pro- like promoting shows and doing those kinds of things is, is what's most important in in social, but I also like feeling like, hey, we're doing cool things that people like. We're, you know, having fun putting out content that people just want to engage with and be like, Hey, this account is really cool. Let me see what, let, let me see what else they those guys are doing on YouTube on, or like if we have Twitch streamers or anything like that. So I really want to learn everything I can to kind of hone my skills just so I can be the guy that sets all that up and make sure that I have the right team around me to, to really best utilize the platforms that we have.
0: I mean, you're obviously building in that direction um, as I can tell through your social media, but Um, more so of, uh, you know, you mentioned whistle sports and how, you know, you got that opportunity through your connections, through social media, but I do think you are a brand. Like I, I think that, you know, when we see the, uh, the sign go up with Lakers, Lakers nations assemble, like that's kind of like an expected thing every time the Lakers play basketball. Um, but I, I definitely think it's interesting just how you can build something, you know, Slowly and gradually through social media, and I think you're doing a great job of that over the last couple of months, especially with the pandemic, sort of keeping everyone inside. Um, so, one of the things I really wanted to talk to you because I know that we're both huge basketball fans, but I wanted to address this top 100 ESPN ranking. Um, what were your initial thoughts? You know, what do you what do you th- see as like the biggest flaw behind ESPN right now?
1: So, my initial thoughts were they're just putting this out so people will engage with it. Because they said, I think they said that Tyler Hero was better than like Buddy Heald and Blake Griffin and all these other guys that I know for a fact. Tyler Hero is not better than right now.
2: Yeah,
1: I think Tyler Hero is a good player, but what somebody told me that it was supposed to be a projection for what they do this upcoming season.
2: Okay,
1: and I was like, okay, that makes that makes a little bit more sense. Still, don't necessarily agree, but makes more sense than just like ranking the players as like based on what we've seen in previous seasons.
2: Yeah. I, so, so
0: like even just scrolling the list right now, going through the 50 to 11, I think they have right now. There are a lot of names on here where no offense. I love De'Aaron Aaron Fox, but his placement on this list ahead of Russell Wilson, Russell Westbrook is the most offensive shit I've ever seen in my entire life. Cause there's no way I'm picking the Aaron Fox over Russell Westbrook, it just doesn't it doesn't work for me. And so for me, I, I I'm in the same mentality as you, where I get where they're coming from, I get where they 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 think that these players are going to project at the end of the season. But like even seeing John Morant a place ahead of Jalen Brown for me seems like a very slight towards Jalen Brown's skill set. Whereas you know to someone else it could be you know that's a huge you know homage towards where they think. John ja Morant's going to end at the end of the season. But it, it, for me, it, it's, it's too much of a, you know, a bubble. Like you're locking yourself into a train of thought that doesn't really apply to the majority of basketball. It's the same thing I love with, you know, Kevin Durant, when he was like, you know, why are we talking about stats when we talk about basketball? Like, this is how I look at things when I look at these rankings. Cause it's like, I just don't know how you can, you know, on an eye test, look at John ja Morant, look at Jalen Brown and say, you know, Ja's going to be better. Or Ja'a is better at this current moment than Jalen Brown. Like, there's just different levels to this game. For me, it's just it's interesting seeing you know sort of the fall of what ESPN used to be like um, to what it to what it is now.
1: I think when you talk about basketball, and it's really weird trying to evaluate players, especially after the last season, where I think kind of like the bubble performances from certain guys. Yeah, where some some guys were playing playing. As well as they ever have in their career in the bubble. And I think that kind of skewed a lot of like how people view certain players. Like Jamal Murray, perfect example. Yeah. Jamal was destroying people. Was a the dog. Way. Destroying people. Has never, never seen him play that well that consistently in the postseason before until that bubble. Yeah. And on the flip side, a guy like Lonzo, who was actually having a great year, he, I think he shot like 38% from three for the Pelicans during the regular part of the year and then the bubble he got down there and looked
2: awful awesome. yeah looked together.
1: terrible and i think that kind of i think it's going to kind of like skew how people view certain players for better or worse um as far as the espn projections go i mean you know that's how they feel yeah. at the end of the day They think that De'Aaron Fox is going to be better than Russell Westbrook. I actually don't necessarily disagree with that.
0: No, I don't. Uh, But it's more (laughs) so of in the span of the last year. Like your sample size shows you indicators of what it could be. But I don't make decisions based on things what things could be. I'm based on like a very like in the moment decision. Like I had a conversation, and I'm actually going to ask your opinion on this. But it's two different conversations. But I had a conversation with someone about who won. The John Wall James Harden tra- or the John Wall Russell Westbrook trade, and personally, I think it's kind of a wash. But I do think that having watched John Wall, you know, do his thing in the preseason last night, I see where the Rockets are going with you know adding him to their tool bag. But there was a conversation of peak John Wall versus cheek or peak Russell Westbrook, and I just wanted your your opinion on that.
1: Peak Russell Westbrook. I don't think it's. Like, I don't think it's. I'm not gonna say I don't think it's close because I think Pete John Wall was a very, very, very good player. Yeah, but Pete Russ was just
2: different. And I
1: guess it, I guess it also depends on when you consider his his peak, because there was a point where Russ, like in the mid range, was automatic, and he was yeah. still doing everything that he was doing. And I just think he was a more impactful player than John Wall was. I don't. I'm not gonna disrespect John Wall. and Say it's not close, but if you like peak for peak, I'm going to take Russell over, over John Wall
0: for sure. I agree with you. Um, the the one thing that I look at in regards to just putting things in perspective, Russell Westbrook over the last five years has almost averaged a triple double every season, in which he did for two seasons, and I do think that people downplay how significant that means. Like I get stat chasing, whatever, whatever, however people may feel, but it is extremely difficult to get a triple double or even average a triple double over a season. And, and it's hard for me to say that, you know, I'm a huge, anyone who knows me, I'm a huge John wall fan. Um back in like 2016, 2015 um, when I was hooping back in college, um, I used to get into very like adamant arguments with people that John wall was a better basketball player than Kyrie Irving. And doing that, in Cleveland is a tough, tough place to do it at. And I see your face. Um, and, and so I was, I was essentially up there my, by myself just arguing that point. But there was a period where I, I, if I'm building a team, I genuinely would consider John Wall a better player than Kyrie. In the scope of things, that was an absolute asinine opinion to be making because it's definitely Kyrie in that conversation. But for a moment, John Wall was playing at such an elite level that you know, he was an all-star You know, there was a couple seasons where he was, you know, just on the cusp of an all NBA pick. And, you know, Kyrie was just playing in a more widely viewed team at the time because he was with LeBron and you you attract a certain amount of attention. But John Wall is one of those players where if you look at the six year run he went on, you know, from like, well, he's been in the league, what, 10 years? Um, And there's a five to six year period where John Wall was arguably a top 10 point guard. He was playing in a somewhat smaller market in a big city because DC is a big city. I I think that they have a problem attracting talent and that's something that they'll eventually address and should address. But, you know, him and Beal are starting to figure things out. Um, They had me watching fucking Nene, you know, play basketball like that. That's just a feat in itself. Like no one wants to watch Nene play basketball in the 2000s and 2010s. But we, we were watching John Wall run pick and rolls with him and Gortat. And it's like, that was that was a good team. Like they they took a lot of teams to, you know, game 7s. Like I'll never forget that series against the Brooklyn Nets, but I just got into a long heated argument about Westbrook versus Wall and I feel like people in this generation don't understand the significance of who Westbrook is as a player and what he is as a talent cuz I think that he he will go down in my opinion as one of the best to ever do it. And I think that his track record in the playoffs oftentimes clouds you know the perspective put on his career and his talent level
1: so i guess that goes to a larger conversation about how we view nba players in their careers because ultimately what we what we look at first is did you win a championship or not yeah and depending on the answer to that question is that's going to skew how everybody looks at your career and what you accomplished what you did or didn't do guys like carl malone charles barkley all those kind of guys, like who didn't win, who didn't win rings, but if they would have won a championship, how, how much differently we would view their entire careers. Westbrook is probably going to end up being one of those guys. I don't see him winning a chip, probably in his career now. Unless he, unless he's one of those guys who, like, once he when he gets older wants to come off the bench for a team that's a hundred percent or like ninety five percent chance they're going to win a title, and he just wants to come off the bench and be the the backup point guard, he might win a ring that way. But we're gonna look at we're going look back at his career. He was an All NBA player, NBA MVP, averaged a triple double three years out of his career. Three or
2: four? Almost.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think I think he might have gotten three.
1: Three um, years. He got, he he got
0: close him. last season. Twenty-seven, seven, and seven is not a bad stat line. That is a great stat line for an NBA player.
1: Those are LeBron stats. Those yeah. are like LeBron career stats. So yeah. yeah, like we're he's gonna go down as one of the best players to ever play, and we're gonna look back and be like, wow, somebody averaged a triple double for three straight years we were shitting on on him i like that (laughs) entire time they don't Uh, they don't appreciate you until you're gone man we're not gonna appreciate him until he's gone
0: and it's it's a weird thing to to discuss because when it first happened you know people were giving him his flowers and then over the last three three seasons i feel like it's just like unraveled to the point where people are like so what who cares And so we've normalized that he gets these, you know, ridiculous stats. And it's like, no, like prior to him doing it, this was a, you know, a huge feat. Like no one expected Oscar Robertson's feat to ever be, you know, beaten, let alone three times in the span of three years. Um, And so that actually leads me to, you know, another conversation I was having. Um, And I kind of wanted your opinion because you actually brought up one of the players in this conversation. But Jamal Murray versus Jokic. I personally would build around Jokic if I was the Nuggets organization, but my friend has a very adamant feeling that if you're a GM right now, Jamal Murray has a lot more long-term value than Jokic. So I was wondering, you know, what's your opinion and where do you think the game's going to go with Denver? Because I think Denver is in a very not tricky, but a very delicate situation right now with building their team identity. I think they have a great coach. I think that they have a great roster uh, picking up. I believe Patterson from the Clippers was a huge addition to their team just from a a death perspective and defensively um, their rotations get a little bit more tricky. And I think that after watching them take the Clippers um, to game seven and you know how they played in the previous series and how they played throughout the playoffs over the last five years. And that's a team that you can't overlook in regards to talent so what do you what do you, what do you think they're going to do over the next couple of years? Because they do kind of have to make a decision around, you know, where their money is being pushed into and how to how to build rosters appropriately.
1: So, a couple things. First and foremost, your friend is, you are one hundred percent smarter than your friend because you should absolutely build that team around Jokic and not Jamal Murray. I don't even. Know. The thing about Jamal Murray that bothers me is that people treat him like he's a a, pre- a perennial All Star like yeah. all-NBA kind of player. He's never made an all-star team. He's never been all-NBA, none of that. And people yeah. people value him that way, and it really doesn't make sense to me. And it's all because of what he did in the bubble, and I guess I kind of get it, but I still, I still don't understand it. Going forward with that team, I look at it like this. There are, there are a team that could potentially win a championship, but they're like below that tier of teams where you where you say they, they for sure are going to make the like the Lakers to me are a team where you say that team at worst is going to make the finals. Yeah. The Milwaukee Bucks, I guess you could kind of say like, I guess out east it's kind of harder harder to find that team. But I would probably say either the Bucks, and depending on how KD looks, like the Nets are two teams in the East are say, okay. One of those two teams should probably make the finals. Maybe the Boston Celtics, maybe the Miami Heat. With the Denver Nuggets, you have to kind of look at it like Nikola Jokic to me is one of the 10 best players in the NBA. I don't think, I think he's absolutely a top 10 player, all NBA, like first or second team kind of guy. That's the guy that you need to build around, and he's 25. Yeah. So he's the one that you need to build your team around. If I was a Nuggets and I was arguing with people on Twitter about this, I was arguing with people because they were saying that they wouldn't trade Jamal Murray for James Harden. What? And, hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me finish, let me
2: finish, let me finish.
1: They were telling me that they wouldn't trade Jamal Murray for James Harden. And I was like, why? Why wouldn't you do that? And they were talking about like, how do you know that Nicola would Nikola would like him the way that he likes Jamal? And how do you know that he's gonna fit in with what the, with with another? Because they're trying to doing. And this this is what I don't understand about franchises. Kind of like how you said with the Washington Wizards, how it's it's hard for them to get free agents to come there, even though they're they're like a bigger city and like a bigger market. My thing is that if you're the Denver Nuggets, and if other GMs feel this way about Jamal Murray, that he's this great player, if you could bring in a, if you could trade him for a guy like James Harden, or any of the other top ten players in the league, yeah, you should absolutely trade him yeah like even even if james harden leaves after two seasons he has two seasons left on his contract and then he has a player option for like 47 million that he would probably pick up because it's 47 million so let's say you have him for three years i would rather have three years of james harden than however many years of jamal murray on my team
0: i just think it's 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 the same reason why i don't understand the current hesitancy to trade tyler hero from the heat for James Harden a few years of James Harden is way better than any years of Tyler Hero in my opinion in my opinion and I think that people are just so stuck on this perception built around James Harden that they're not thinking clearly and it's like James Harden can take your team to the next level on a, a
2: long-term scale
1: if you if you put James Harden on that Miami Heat team in that NBA finals against the Lakers they have a chance to beat the Lakers in that. They have a chance to beat the Lakers in the series. Not guys, saying they would. Not saying they would. I'm saying they absolutely could have.
0: My thing is though, is is, and someone made a great point about it on Twitter. I forgot who tweeted this, but uh <laughs> it got to the point where there were several times in the game where the Lakers got smart and they would essentially essentially hunt Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson on defense. And it's like, what good does he do out there for you if he's only getting you roughly 14 points a game but he's giving up a ton on the other end which is then creating a very difficult barrier to you know maintain leads or even get leads in certain games
1: he was food on defense bro absolutely Food on, even like every time Brian, every time Bron had the ball and he saw him guarding him, he knew what time it was. Yeah, I'm, I'm barbie chicken. Barbie. <laughs> I'm on sure you because like, why are you out here? I'm <laughs> Like him or Duncan, Duncan Robinson is a really good player to me. Like I like him as a shooter like and even on. like as a play, even as a playmaker because people like close out on him so hard. He was like, okay, I can get like I can get past people. I can make an extra pass, find an open guy, all that kind of stuff. If you can trade those guys. And get James Harden on your team without giving up Jimmy Butler, you do that a hundred times out of 100. every time. Yeah, every time, zero zero hesitation. You trade you trade them. You get James Harden for three years, and you probably go to the finals for three years.
2: Yeah,
0: <laughs> like I couldn't even imagine. You know, and, and the one thing that I, I I thought about it, but Jokic just like no look pass to Harden in the corner. Would be so sick in the playoffs. Like Harden and Jokic, I think, would work together. I mean, I think Harden can work with essentially a lot of players in the league right now just because his style of game, while it is ball dependent, you know, quote unquote, I do think that his ability to create space with sub five seconds late in the clock is something that differentiates him from other people. Like, he's not a player that you have to create a shot for, he can create his own shot, which is an extremely difficult skill to have in the NBA right now. And I think that people downplay that a lot because it's the reason why Kyrie's valued heavily. It's the reason why James is valued heavily. It's the reason why a lot of players with that skill set are valued heavy because there are a lot of people that need a LeBron or they need a Chris Paul or they need a point guard to facilitate things. And it brings me back towards, um, you know, the Jamal Murray versus Jokic thing where I have this current theory where and it's not even really a theory, but I think it's more factual and people just debate it. but. Building around a point guard will never win you a championship. It just won't. There's a reason why you build around LeBron. There's a reason why you build around KD, Kawhi, Paul George, quote-unquote Paul George. Um, You build around Nobody's
2: nobody's (laughs) building
1: around Paul George. (laughs) Exactly. Nobody's building around Paul George.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and so you build around these wing players, the three or the four, but everyone thinks that it's a dependent thing to have. Like, you want a good point guard. Like, you don't want your point guard to be food. But I got into a conversation. I'm in a basketball group chat right now with a bunch of guys from the East Coast and it's a bunch of Boston fans in there. And we had a conversation. I know you're shaking your head. I'm not a huge fan of the Boston franchise, but, you know, those are good people in that group chat. Um, and they got mad at me because I was discussing the fact that there are a lot of point guards out there that I think are better than Kemba Walker. And, and by a lot, I don't mean like an actual lot, but like I named some, some, some point guards I genuinely believe are better than Kemba Walker. And they, they were disagreeing with me. Give me the names. Kyrie. I I still think Kyrie's better than Kemba. Uh, Dame is one of my favorite point guards in the league. Steph.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: um, Who was I? It was one person in particular that I was debating, you know, would would be a better option for that team than who they currently have. And they completely flipped out on me, but I couldn't, I can't remember right now who it was. Um, There's so far...
1: So far, I don't understand what they're arguing with you about because you're three for three on guys who I think are better than Kemba.
0: Well, it was I, I would have to remember exactly who the point guard was that they were debating. I'm, I'm actually going to check my phone right now, but I, I essentially said that Kemba is great, but he's a liability um, day in and day out. And so the the thought process behind thinking that you can always rely on him in long term games doesn't really make sense to me because this is his first serious playoff appearance and people expected a lot from him and I was like it's essentially like throwing a rookie out there like not really but like this is his first time in the limelight that like people actually expect on him to deliver no one took any of those Charlotte teams seriously in the playoffs we knew what they were like they were going to get cooked and Kemba would have to drop 45 but to be able to like expect your one and two to deliver and then your third player be like the difference maker and and let's be real Jason uh Tatum and, and Jalen Brown were essentially the one and two. And it was between Marcus Smart and Kemba to be that next guy up in a lot of those series. And I just didn't see Kemba really step into that role down the stretch, which is why they inevitably lost the series. And so for me, I just don't understand why they're so locked in on, you know, this, 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 uh, this relentless pursuit of defending Kemba Walker. Like there are point guards, I think out there you can replace them with.
1: So one of the things about Kemba that I I think we found out later um, I forget which NBA writer uh wrote about this, but the Celtics actually tried to trade him in the off season. They tried to get rid of him like one year in the deal, and I think it was because he but they couldn't get the trade done because he was hurt and he's been hurt for a while. And that kind of changes things for me a little bit because if he wasn't healthy in the bubble, or if like if he wasn't a hundred percent, that probably explains some of their performances he had. Because there were some games where he legitimately was not very good. Yeah. But you know, I hear what you're saying. There are there are point guards that I would rather have on my team, besides Kemba. I really need to, I really need to figure out like who is the guy that got that got everybody in a frenzy. Like
0: I'm I'm looking right now. I just can't I can't remember. I'm also looking at some of these text messages and uh, they're angry at me. They were angry at me because I made the argument that the Celtics are a poor franchise for free agent extensions, and they're they essentially yelled at me that. The Celtics have a great destination spot for free agents in the offseason, which I agree with. A lot of people go to the Celtics in the offseason. Um, they got Kemba, they got Gordon, they got Kyrie. Like, that's a great location spot. But the ability to extend those contracts after they run out is just not something that they're used to. If Pat Connaughton can sign a free agent deal with the Bucs and get an extension, and Batum and a long list of players have gone around the league. Gotten free agent deals, done well for two or three years, and then signed extensions. But no one signed an extension with the Celtics except for their rookies in the last ten years. There's a problem there for me. Kyrie left, Gordon left. Uh, I'm expecting Kemba to leave. They think that Kemba's going to stay. I think that's complete horseshit. Um, and and your essential pivotal title of the last twenty years is a team you built off Reynolds. You know, Garnett left after his his stint was done um the truth left rajon rondo is hated by celtics fans now for some reason you didn't really build anything from within like even if you go back to like the bird days it goes back to my point about them not building around point guards It goes back to my point about you know they haven't had a strong history of building a team and sticking with it for long periods of time which you would see with you know five years of the miami heat with lebron or you know, the, the Warriors built a huge, you know, legacy team down there or er, up there in, you know, San Francisco area or John Wall and Beal were together for eight or nine years. You don't really see a core for the Celtics. You see Jalen and Tate, Tatum. That, that's the longest you can remember of two people that the Celtics have built around, you know, generally built around like the truth signing with Kevin Garnett, you know, 10 to 12 years ago against the Kobe, like those Kobe series. Those are people you sign for, you know those were Reynolds. Like that's what the Celtics brand is. Like you can't really tell me they don't turn the identity of that team over every five to six years.
1: Kevin Garnett was a gift yeah. is what he was. He was a yeah. gift because who is the, who is the guy that um, I forgot who the general manager was for the Timberwolves at the time, but he was, but he played on those Celtics teams with Larry Bird and Danny Ainge and all of those guys. And yeah. he gifted Kevin Garnett to them. That's why they that's why they won that title in 08. It was literally it was literally just like, "Hey, you're my guy. I'm going to help you out." It's like if KG's not playing for me, I'd rather he play for the Celtics. And that's the only reason they have one title in the last what 35 years or whatever it is. I don't know, 34 years. Exactly. So like the Celtics to me are it's it's so weird cuz they get great players. Like they traded for Kyrie. Everybody was like, "Oh yeah, they 100% won that trade," which they did, by the way. They And everyone. Please Cleveland for that. I, I still don't understand why the Cavs did that. The Cavs should have just told Kyrie, "Hey, can you just play for like one more season, and then we'll figure it out from there." To, to at least try to get a, one more title. I didn't understand that, but yeah. whatever. And then Kyrie leaves because he doesn't want to be there anymore. Exactly. They they get Gordon Hayward from they take Gordon Hayward from Utah, which was like the worst kept secret ever. And they're like, yeah, Gordon's here. Blah blah blah. Good good good. Once they get Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, Gordon's like, all right, I gotta bounce, and he leaves. He leaves for nothing. I'm interested to see what Jason Tatum does in four years because he has a player option in the last. He has a player option in the last year of his deal and of his extension. I'm interested to see what decision he makes and if he decides to, hey, I'm gonna stay here in Boston, or if he decides, hey, I'm I'm gonna leave because I don't want to <laughs> be here anymore. I'm also interested to see if they actually try to trade Kemba or if they like, just keep him and just like ride it out for the next couple of years. <laughs> I want to, to see what happens with that because they tried to get rid of him already.
0: His injury and history we, right
2: now.
1: His injury history is, only, is probably one of the only reasons he's still on the team right now. They tried to trade him already, so I want to see what happens with that. But to your larger point about not building around point guards anymore, in the NBA, you have to, you have to build around wing, wing players that are dynamic. And multifaceted and can do a lot of things and do a lot of things very well. Yeah. LeBron, obviously the best example. Uh KD, trying to think who else is like pure like Luka. Luka Doncic. Perfect example. He's a guy, he's one of the players you build around. Yeah. Um Anthony Davis is a kind of like a bigger, he's a he's a big man, but AD can do a lot of things well. You just have to have
0: you can shoot really well.
1: He he has you have to have a whole bunch of, of, of good players around him and guys who can get him the ball and he's dominant. Dominant yep. player. Giannis is one of the guys that I've been critical of on the timeline. I'm I'm sure everybody knows. Um he's Giannis to me is like he's a great he's he's a, a great player, legitimately. Yep. A great player. But I think he's overrated and I think I think people think that he can do things that he doesn't do or so has not done
0: it's not in his package
1: he can't like he can't when i say that he can't score i know that he averages 30 points a game that's not what i that's not what i'm saying i'm saying that
0: it's like create, create the shot thing that we, we talked about
1: he can't create like if he doesn't get straight to the hole so every single time he can't score yeah we've seen it in the playoffs two years in a row like you build the wall up he cannot score, he cannot do it, and to me that it, like it's kind of hard to win a title with a guy who can't create his own like who's dependent on other people to create a shot for him exactly. in the playoffs. like how can you win how can you win with that guy?
0: Yeah so it goes back to there was someone on TV who talked about it. It might have been Kendrick, honestly, um and it, it was about the fact that Giannis doesn't quite know how to play basketball yet. And as jaded as that sounds right now for a lot of people, it is the truth. Like, he didn't pick up basketball until later in his life. He was a teenager, I believe, in Greece. Um, And and his growth spurt really accelerated a timeline for him. He's still figuring things out. I think he can eventually get there. I think he needs to spend more time in the gym and sort of piece that together. But a great point was made is that you can do all that bullshit in the regular season, but coaches will figure you out. Like, tape is on you. Like, people have watched your game. They will the the concept of shrinking a court makes it way more hard makes it much harder for players at his skill level to do what he does because people will sort of force you into bad shots they'll force you into turnovers they'll start throwing different types of traps at you um, and it reminds me of that clip that went viral during the bubble playoffs where they sort of showed adjustments between the Lakers in game one game to the next in regards how they were. It was, in the, and it was in the finals. It was uh, in regards to rotations off of Danny Green, where it was essentially, you know, if you get stuck on a screen versus, you know, rolling to the nearest person. And it was essentially the adjustment where they were trying to switch um, for Danny Green whenever LeBron had the ball and Danny Green set a screen. And the next game, you know, instead of getting stuck and trying to switch, whoever was on their man just stuck on their man, which helped alleviate some of the pressure on whoever the open shooter was. But that is how playoff basketball is, you know, one, like is those adjustments by coaches reviewing the tape, seeing how, how you can tweak things and do things better with Giannis's, with Giannis's game. You know, once you start throwing a look at him, he doesn't really have much to sort of get around the look they're sending him. He doesn't have the package to say, Hey, they're doing this to me. I need to do this. Once they beat you at option A, there is no option B for him. And that's a problem because in the NBA, you have to have as many tools in your tool basket as possible. You know
1: what it kind of reminds me of? It kind of reminds me of, The 2011 NBA Finals,
2: yeah,
1: with the Mavs and the Heat, and they were making LeBron shoot. Yeah, and he couldn't. He he didn't have the jumper yet. Yeah, it wasn't consistent yet. It was done. Like it was done because they they had (laughs) the guys. They had the guys who could defend everybody, and they were they were literally just sitting there, like if you make jump shots, we will lose. Yeah, and he couldn't make them, and that's what Giannis remind. That's when I watch Giannis in the playoffs. That's what I think of. Yeah. So they were like, we're gonna put this wall up. If you if you make jump shots,
0: just make jump shots. We will lose. They're giving you an option to burn them, but they have faith in the ability that you can't do it.
1: But they know they know that you can't do it. Yeah, <laughs> like they, if, he, if he was a consistent shooter, the Bucks would be league. They, they, they would be <laughs> rolling to people. Like
2: It'd
1: easily would have made, yeah. made the finals last two seasons if he could make jump shots. He can't do it, and that's why it's hard for me to pick the Bucks to win a title or even get to the finals. Because I know what KD can do. You know what I'm saying? I know what KD can do. I know what Kyrie can do. I know what Jimmy Butler, Jimmy Butler in the Miami, Heat just made the NBA finals. Yeah. I still think the Boston Celtics can make the NBA finals. I think they have, a, I think that's a really talented team that they, they got over there. They're but missing KD, one piece for me. They just really need a center. And I think Tristan Thompson might be able to do what they need. him. They just need a big guy who doesn't get like thrown around yeah. and can grab rebounds and ground rebounds and play defense.
0: I thought Thies, or whatever his name was, was good, but he was also the most foul, troubled, consistent center I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, Dude was an easy, oh, I'm about to go to the bucket and get this and one every single time I watched him. Because he would grab 13, 13 to 15 rebounds, score you 13 to 15 points, which is what I want from a center on that team because you don't really need them to do too much. But he was also someone who was fouled out by the midway through the fourth quarter. And once he got off the court, it was like, oh, this is food down here. This is an easy trip to the bucket.
1: Tice is a good backup center, and I think that now that he's he's regulated to that, like he's their backup center now. Yeah, I think that's I think that's beneficial for him. If Tristan can just hold down the starting spot, that's going that's going to be a hard team to beat in a series.
0: I think they're competitive. I think that the the thing that really concerns me about that team is, and, it, and it's something that I worry about with every team is who's that killer. Like, there's a lot of good players on the team. I think Jason's a really good player. Um, but it, it reminds me of, you know, the two moments for me that really pissed me off of Jason Tatum in the playoffs this year. And I think he's, you know, no disrespect, amazing player. He's probably going to be one of the guys that, like, for me, I'm going to follow for the rest of his career. But him cocking back on Bam in the playoffs, just bang that. Like, why are you trying to do too much with the – he was back here with it. The... He was trying to – Hot like ESPN top thirty, and I was like, "All right, just Bam was not going for that shit, man." <laughs> like, and then for me, I, I think it was it was either Cameron Hay or or Trevor Trout. They tweeted it, and I immediately like favorited and retweeted it. But there's something about when players you know have a tie game heading into overtime, and their first look is a step back three. I hate that shit. Car- um, Karis Levert did it in the playoffs, and I literally screamed at my TV. If I'm a player. I'm going to either do what LeBron did where I drive, get the double, throw it out to someone open, or I'm just going up there and I'm like, you're going to give me these free throws. Like we're going to do something about it. I'm going to hit one of these in this game, but we're going to get these free throws. But a step back three is not a good shot. Like that is not a good NBA shot. You are not Harden. This is not Daryl Morey's team. Like I don't give a fuck about any of that with the game on the line. Go to the hoop, draw a foul, or just throw it out after, you know, a double team comes to you. But it's just bad basketball. And I've seen that in a lot of moments with the Celtics where, Their execution late in games kills them. And I think that in order for them to really take that jump to, you know, a serious contender in the East, they need someone where late in the game, you can trust him to make the smart decision or the best decision. Um, And and so for me right now, I think that uh, Jason and Jalen, they're still young. They're still adding tools to that bag. And one of the things that they're missing right now is sort of that late game fuck everybody else like i'm gonna try and make the best basketball play in this scenario and for me it's just it's just not there yet it's not
1: i think that can come with time i think the problem that you have with talented teams sometimes is that there's so like so many guys are talented so many guys can do so many things yeah that when the game is on the line like we say hey we need somebody to get a shot they're all kind of like like looking like i should should I be the one to do it should <laughs> yeah. I be the one to take the shot or should yeah. he take the shot, and I think when you got Kemba, when you got Jalen, and you got Jason, they're all kind of looking at like you know, I could do this, like I know I know for a fact Kemba I know for a fact if a game's line, Kemba feels like i I will make this shot if you give me the shot i will he's done it, like he's yeah. done it a he's done it since college, he's got a history like, he has a history of if the game's on the line and you give me the ball. I will come through for you, so I think that can kind of like cause issues, especially when you see that Jason. Jason looks like the guy who's like that's his team going forward. Yeah, like he's going to be the All NBA perennial All Star. I'm not going to say MVP, but you know that guy on that team.
0: He'll be in the conversation.
1: He'll be in the conversations, especially because he plays for the Celtics, and everybody in the media loves the Celtics.
0: He's for me. He reminds me of. And it's going to feel weird to say this because this is kind of heading into our next topic. But it reminds me of a of when Paul George came into the league and like stepped out of the shadow of Danny Granger, where his his projection is just crazy. And if he don't label him him
1: with the Paul George label, don't do that.
0: (laughs) Brothers trying to catch vibes and play basketball. (laughs) Don't do that, man. Don't do that. But it really is though. Like they have similar games. Like when I see them both cross up players on the court, I think that Jason's a lot looser with his his handles, where like he gets out more, but he has better control over it. Paul's neat. Like when I see him like in and out, like his handles are very neat. Like he keeps it within you know a certain number of inches within his body, so he doesn't get stripped. Um, I think they're both efficient shooters. I think their ability to create space is similar. I think that they're both dogs in a sense. I think they're like that pseudo dog. Like they're not quite killers, but like their game is like killer adjacent, where like you expect more of them, but like they just don't quite hit that, like, I'm gonna drop 30 and talk shit in your ear, but you know, not to test me kind of shit. And I think that Jason has a higher projection than Paul right now just because he's displaying some of that ability earlier on. He's not competing with anyone. When Paul came in the league, he still had to compete for that attention. Like people didn't really want to crown him you know, that person to build around. And I think he even talks about that recently on the All the Smoke podcast where he discussed how he wanted to get AD, you know, to to the Pacers. And for me, if I'm the star of my team and I know I'm the star of my team, everyone treats me like I'm the star of the team, you get me, AD. Like, that's not a conversation we have to go back and forth on, especially since he talked about, you know, some of the trade rumors he was dealing with. There's just not a lot of need for back and forth. And I think that with what's going on right now and what we've seen from Tatum, they, they lock that up. Like, everyone knows that's Jason's team. Like, that's why you, when you said Kemba wants the last shot, he knows he can't take the last shot. Like, that has to go to Jason. Like, that is his team. Like, if Jason decides to kick it to him or he opts out of that last-minute look, like, that's a decision that he makes with the coach. Um, and I think that if you compare their careers when it's all said and done – Um, Jason can have a similar trajectory, but I think that, you know, one, Paul George is pussy and he's not going to win a championship ever. Um, but two, Jason has the right tools and the right, you know, skill set to really, you know, get teams over that hump and build around and actually commit resources to.
1: So since we, since we've come to the, the Paul George conversation,
0: (laughs) (laughs) the $200 man,
1: here's my issue with Paul George. And I see what you're saying as far as like the games of him and Jason being similar. Yeah. But here's why I would rather have Jason going forward than Paul George, even though Paul George is more established in the NBA. Yeah. Jason not always coming through in the postseason is okay when you're a young player. Yeah. And like you're taking the steps to being able to do that consistently. So Mm -hmm. him not always coming through in the postseason or like trying to duck on Bam and Bam's sending him shit to the second row and you <laughs> taking a step back three for the game and missing. Like that's okay when you're a young player and I know that you're ascending and I know that you're going to still going to get better. Paul George is 30 going on 31 and has a history of just never showing up meltdowns, in, like, epic meltdowns when his team, when the all, going all the way back to the Pacers, those Pacers teams that took the heat to seven, two years in a row, both game sevens. He did not show up. Nowhere to be found, getting outplayed by Lance Stevenson, dog. Yeah, Lance Stevenson, Roy Hibbert, David West, George Hill, outplaying <laughs> him in Game Seven when they, when they could knock LeBron off. Like, and this is like peak LeBron. Like, maybe like the greatest versions of LeBron we've ever seen is when he was re- when he was at the Heat. Yeah, you have an opportunity to knock that dude off and cement your legacy. Even if you go to the finals, even if you go to the finals and lose. You knock LeBron off in the Eastern Conference Finals, dog. Two years in a row, nowhere to be seen.
0: (laughs) The moment moment I realized that Paul George's playoff aspirations have always just melted down in front of our eyes, and I think this is the funniest thing um, when it hit me. Have you ever paid attention to the highlights that ESPN, Bleacher Report, like social media posts of Paul George highlights in the playoffs, and it's like the same four highlights? It's like the Birdman dunk. It's like one step back three and then two other highlights. And I'm like, he has years of catalog to choose from. But the fact that you only have these four moments shows you that his inability to deliver in key moments is documented. Like you can't go back and find more than four of these moments on e- to show on ESPN. Like there's a problem there. Like there's, no, there's not a lot of clutch moments. Like LeBron's catalog for like real like in the dirt moments for him where he like really had to turn it on is you could go on an hour and just show like highlight after highlight after highlight. I think with Giannis right now, eh, not, Giannis is not the best example, but Luca probably has five moments right now of just like real killer moments of his career where he's gotten out of tough, clutch situations.
1: Like the thing about Paul George is that I know what four highlights you're talking about. Yeah. I guarantee you all four of those highlights are in games that did not decide the series.
0: No, it's like game five. And it's like, all right. <laughs>
1: like game five, game four, where, yeah. where it's like, Two one or two two or some or some shit like that. LeBron yeah. has games where it's like, if I do not win this game, home. we are going home, and they're going to <laughs> they're going to kill me yeah. for a, like a calendar year because I didn't show up. Game yeah. six, two thousand uh, 2012, uh okay. Eastern Conference Finals against the Celtics. That was the day. That was the day that I became like a LeBron fan for real. <laughs> he
2: was in his bag.
1: I was like, I was like, who though? Fuck is this dude? <laughs> <Like> this. <time. laughs> he, zero games. Like <laughs> from the tip, he was just like looking like.
0: Yeah, I'm it's here.
1: <laughs> I'm about to kill them, bro. <laughs> yeah, problem
0: he,
2: in the building. <laughs> he,
1: he was not past that. I knew it was serious because he was not passing the ball, dog. He was like, I'm doing this. I moment. am going to win this game. <laughs> That's
0: the moment where uh Dwayne Wade realized, like. I it's start not my packing. team. Yeah, it's a to start. It's not packing my team up. no more. <laughs> I gotta start packing <laughs> it up. He got to 2015. He was like, I'm just out here trying to get some cardio. At this point, <laughs> like Dwayne Wade knew what time it was when LeBron went crazy.
1: He's like, hey, if Bron don't bring us home, I don't know what to tell y'all, man.
0: <laughs> knees <laughs> was cooked out there, boy. It was cheese. Done,
1: <laughs> man. Them knees was. I see why Bron bounced, man. He was like, man, they... the Cavs got Kyrie. We can get Kevin Love. <laughs> Dwayne ain't got no knees no more. I gotta get out of here, man.
0: LeBron was smart though. Uh, At the time, living in Cleveland, you know, I was downtown, and people were like, "Why would we get rid of Wiggins for Kevin Love?" Twenty twenty, you know, or twenty twenty vision. Looking at it, probably made the right move getting rid of Wiggins because Wiggins really never took that step to be probably, (laughs) probably, hundred percent made the right move. Yeah, Kevin Love was. A problem out there, some of those games. Like he was, I remember one game when I was in Cleveland. He, uh, what was it? He started out with like 10, 10 threes and like less than a half, and he just went crazy. And I was like, Wiggins is not hitting 10 threes in four games. Like, what are we talking about? Like, it's just just That's a different amazing. skill set.
1: The entire city of Cleveland should thank LeBron James for making the Cavs trade Andrew Wiggins and Anthony Bennett, and to get Kevin yeah. They they should they should think they should thank LeBron every single day he did that because
0: Anthony Bennett was awful.
1: Oh man. The Cavs really had like I'm not gonna say they wasted the number one overall pick on Wiggins, but they had like two so like they had one really bad number one overall pick and then one like okay. okay. Wiggins was okay. One. okay. He's okay, but Joel Embiid is better. Um, if you keep going, if you go down in that draft, you'll probably find players like yeah. I would rather have him. Way better. I would.
2: Term.
1: I would rather have him than have Andrew Wiggins on my team right now. But yeah. you know they did what they needed to do. The Cavs got a title, man. Cleveland got a title. It was worth it.
0: Browns doing it this year.
1: Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing. Here's the thing. So I've been waiting for the Browns conversation. I'm gonna be honest. So. We're not gonna win a Super Bowl this year, and that's okay. We're not gonna win the Super Bowl because our secondary is ass. Our secondary, our secondary is ass when it's healthy.
0: Sandejo is a god awful.
1: Hey, bro. Like our sec- Terrence Mitchell is not good either. No. Neither is Carl Joseph, Ronnie Harrison, and Denzel Ward. On the only two people in our secondary who are worth something, and they're both hurt. Yeah. So we that's that's gonna keep the Browns from doing what everybody wants them to do, which is win a Super Bowl. But I think they can win a playoff game. I think maybe they could win too.
0: depending on who the matchup is.
1: This, it literally all just depends on who they play. Yeah. Like if we play the Colts or the Titans again, first round, we're good. Like they can win that game if they have to play the if if they have if they play the Chiefs at any point, just know we're getting cooked. <laughs> That's barbecue. We're we're getting cooked. Just know that
0: <laughs> Tyreek Hill about to be out there with four touchdowns at half. <laughs>
1: That man will have four hundred yards at the end of the game. I'm not yeah. playing
0: <laughs> <laughs> he's he's dead. crazy he's been going a little bit too hard this season. I don't know like he's you can't
1: you can't cover him
2: yeah
1: he's fat he's faster than any defensive back in the nFL and they know that yeah you literally yeah. have to commit two people to him every play like don't let him do what he's going to do.
0: <laughs> His first step to top speed acceleration is some of the best I've ever seen, probably the best I've ever seen in football. Or in sports, like, I mean, Usain Bolt even takes a while to get up to that top speed. Tyreek sort of hits it almost instantaneously. And the ability to change directions at that speed is lethal. Like, there aren't a lot of people that you can, can use him to contain, which is why I do see a lot of people try and use, like, zone coverage on him. and Like, it it just – it, someone else is going to be open. Like, there's too many options for Mahomes to really, you know, poke and prod at your defense with. And it's just like ah. – I don't see the the Browns with that secondary giving them any problems whatsoever in in a serious football game. Someone told me that
1: Tyreek Tyreek's not the best wide receiver in the NFL, but he's the one he's the one everyone is everyone fears the most.
2: Oh, a thousand percent.
1: Because he's the one, like he's the one who's who can burn literally
0: anybody. Every, yeah, there's not a like, there's not a cornerback in the league that's like that boy is not a problem. Like that man is like, a problem. Or
1: I can run with him. Like nobody, nobody can run with him and they know that.
2: Yeah.
1: Like you can but keep up Bro- with
2: DK. You
1: you can keep up with any of those. Like there's guys who can keep up with any of those other dudes. You can't run with Tyreek. And he knows that. Yeah. Like you can't run with him. If he gets past you, it's over. But the Browns, like, this is a good season. Like, I, I think people it. should just be people should just be happy. I think. Like, we're nine and three. If we win on Monday, we're in the playoffs and the Ravens are out and they and they have like a a low key shot of actually winning the division. If yeah. Pittsburgh if Pittsburgh fucks it up, we could win the division, which is cool. We could be like the two seed or whatever. And then, you know, play some play some team that's not that great.
0: Play the Dolphins, it'd be a nice little Play the Dolphins. We, <laughs> we got we the Dolphins. Win a game.
1: We we win the game, you know what I'm saying? We go to the next round. Maybe we play like the Titans or the Colts. Yeah. We win another game. Then you know we play like the Chiefs or something, and it's over. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and it's over.
1: We had a good. We had a good run. You know what I'm saying. We gonna fix the defense. We'll try it again next
2: year. Yeah.
0: Uh, out of the Colts, Ravens, and the Dolphins, who do you think is making the playoff with that last spot? I got the Raiders. The fuck out of here. I'm sorry. The Raiders are frauds. So if I'm get, I think the
1: Colts are either the Colts or the Titans whoever whoever comes in second they're for sure making it yeah like zero questions they're for sure going to make it so that last spot is probably going to come down to the Dolphins and the Ravens I guess and I probably have to pick the Dolphins it it really just depends on what happens on Monday though because the Ravens the Ravens schedule is like super easy soft outside of us so Monday's Monday's pretty much going to just decide everything so like if we win on Monday the Dolphins have the inside track of getting that last spot and then you got the Raiders who could like could still get it
0: technically. Car's cheeks. They beat us. You
1: know what I'm saying?
0: They that was beat a us. Ugly game, but that boy is cheeks.
1: They beat us, man. I was so terrified of the Raiders because I knew that they like when we lost that game, I was like, "Fuck, so they have the tiebreaker over us in a, in a playoff situation." We have to beat the Titans. Like, we absolutely 100% have to beat the Titans now, which we did, which was good. Yeah. When they lost that game to the Falcons, I
2: was like, yeah. Was like,
1: oh, yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, they're done. We're good.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> We're good. We're going to the playoffs. We're good. That's all that matters.
2: Yeah. Baker's
1: not that bad. He's not as bad as I thought.
2: He's still, still
0: yeah, he's still got some issues that we need, to, we need to figure out before we lock him up for a long term contract.
1: I just said I need consistency. I just need I need him to play how he played against the Titans.
2: Against everybody. Yeah. If he just does that, we're in a good spot. So since we're on the topic of Cleveland
0: uh, playing an homage to the city forever rep the 216, we might need to have an honest conversation about our man Kid Cudi. I saw your tweet about this being his best album in the last decade, but that says a lot about his last decade.
1: It yeah, his last decade has been trash, bro. Let's be honest about <laughs> it. Let's be, let's be honest. Like we don't have to lie. Like I everybody, everybody that's from Cleveland knows how much the city loves Cuddy. Yeah, like we don't we don't gotta we love Cuddy. Yeah, from the beginning, from the beginning, we've always loved Cuddy. His all his albums except maybe maybe kind of sorta kids he goes kind of sorta.
0: I like passion. And- fashion slant or whatever that album is is it cool like yeah
1: it was cool it was was okay it was okay but like everything else that speeding bullet speeding
0: bullet to heaven or whatever super trash
1: oh my that's like the worst album i've ever heard (laughs) regardless of artist or genre genre that is the worst album i've (laughs) ever heard in my life so when i was listening to the when i was listening to the man on the moon 3 i was like okay this is good like this is he's back to where he was like when he got hot
0: you saw where he was taking us.
1: He was trying to take us back. He was trying to he was trying to restore the feeling a little bit. Like this is this is what y'all fell in love with. And I was like, okay, cool. I can I can get down with this at least.
0: My biggest problem, and someone mentioned that this is a cheap shot. The song where he literally tries to sound like Travis is just like delete that song. Like I know That was
1: my issue. That was yeah. my issue with the whole album. It was like I feel like it feels more like a Travis Scott album than yeah. a Kid Cudi album. That's my whole. That was my whole issue with the whole thing. But
2: he did birth I that flow.
1: He did. He did. He birthed Travis. So like people were like, "Is he really sounding like Travis, or is he just being himself?" And I yeah. was like, "That's fair, I guess."
2: But I don't, it's so I got a lot of heat in my
0: group chats because I think that in comparison to what I expect of Cuddy. I think the last 10 years, he's been kind of cheeks. I know he's dealing with his mental health and sort of like his drug issues. I give that album like a six. Uh, It's smooth. It's got some highs and lows, some tracks that I probably won't go back to. September 16th does nothing for me. I don't know why people hype that song up. That that shit was an automatic skip by moment one or minute one. Um, And I think that's like one of those things where you appreciate the album because of, you know, what he was. And you know what, where he is now and like what he's gone through since then. But in the scope of music today, it doesn't really hold up. Like, He really let a white man get him out the paint today. Like, like, Jack Harlow cleared with that album. And I don't even like Jack Harlow's album that much. But like, the consensus is that Harlow had the better album of the day. And I hate that. And I hate he that. Because in, <laughs> in a normal conversation, Cuddy, Cuddy should clear the move. Like, Move, Harlow. Like, Get him out of there. Like, Just clear the paint. But he didn't. And, and, and honestly, in the scope of things like in this day and age, you can't expect Cudi to to do that like he used to. Like Harlow had a solid project. He had a really great debut album. Like that's that's sad to, to talk about. I would even say v- Vori had a better album. Vory Cuddy. did
1: have a better. Vori's album is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> album is crazy. <laughs> like, Vory and Jack Harlow had better albums. But to Cudi's credit, I did see like the sales projections for for all the albums that came out.
2: Is he an and Cuddy, Cuddy is
1: like 150, 175 K. Okay. Like clear number two. Like he only came in number two because Taylor Swift dropped her album. Which
0: is foul. T. Swift. But that's, there that's
1: cool though. Like if, if you come in, if you T. Swift doing 300 K and Cuddy doing 175 that same week. What's Harlow? I don't, I don't, I didn't even see what Harlow was at. Cause I was, it said like Cuddy was like clear number two. I was like, damn. Yeah like 10 years, 10 years later, he's still do he like number two.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I mean, and that's solid yeah. numbers. Like for, for with for him. no press, no real press, other than like two weeks ago, there was no rollout. Cause we're in the, we're in the day and age where artists don't do rollout, which I think is a poor move by artists. You should start doing rollouts again. Um, 175, like if he hits 175, like you got to respect it. Like that's a, that's a better than what Meg did. Let's be real. And she had a whole rollout low key. And Meg got 105 and Kit Cuddy just came up sh- shooting for 175 real quick.
1: Hey, he cleared Meg, bro. Yeah. Meg Meg was getting like artist of the year covers, rapper of the year covers in magazines. She did 105. This man was just like, hey, I'm gonna drop this album in a couple of weeks. He did
2: 175.
0: Yeah. Light. Like, numbers. Light
1: numbers. <laughs> light <so>. numbers. <laughs> He did, he did 175 on a Taylor Swift week.
0: like you had other things to listen to like you had the vori album. you had the Benny, Benny the Butcher single to link listen to. you had a you had a Vaughn single, Fetty Wop dropped this week. Who else dropped an album this week? There was a couple albums to listen to. There's a lot of music that came out this week to, to get enough attention to dictate the sort of flow of you know what people are listening to to, to the point where you're getting 175 like you got to respect it like it is what it is. As my man Drake said, you ain't gotta respect it, but you definitely gotta accept it. You know, it, it's just Cuddy does what Cuddy does. I just wanted more on the music side, and I'm hoping that this two parter that he has coming up, you know, sort of is like, you know, this was a, the first part was a t- a taste, but the second part's like that's where he's gonna really like get into his bag and show show people what
2: he's about.
1: My thing is like, I just like that he went back, like he went back to he went back to the Cuddy that we, we kind know, of like. We know, I guess I like grew up with too. Cause when he he first dropped in like two thousand eight. Yeah. So we, yeah, I was in high 2009, school. Two thousand nine.
0: Two thousand nine was his first. Man on the moon one was two thousand nine.
1: A kid named Cuddy the Mixtape was like two thousand eight
2: though, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So like I was in high school. So I'm think I'm like, that's the cuddy, that's the cuddy that I the music that I like grew up on. I loved, grew up on. Like I like that cuddy, and I felt like that's what he went back to. So if he's still if he's doing music like that, I'm in. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. If he's doing music like that, I'm gonna listen to it. I support it. If he's doing that speed and bullet to heaven stuff, I'm out.
2: I'm out of here. That. Yeah. All right, I,
0: I, I respect it. So uh, as we wrap up this pod, I just wanted to you know give you the the opportunity to plug anything in that you want, like any final messages to my listeners. You know, shout out to the two one six. Anything else?
1: Always shout out to Cleveland. Cleveland's home. We, we'll, if you're from Cleveland, you understand. You understand the significance of the city. If you're not, you're probably gonna make fun of us, and that's okay too. <laughs> we, we love our city. That's the only thing that matters. Uh, shout out the Elite Media Group. Everybody should go follow. Follow the Elite Media Group. We do dope stuff. We do funny stuff. You know, we we just follow their culture. We're for our people, and we just want y'all to support it. Also support Whistle Sports and Brother HQ. Uh, my employers would probably be upset if I didn't try to get people to follow the accounts. So do that. So I my job.
0: <laughs> All right. Awesome. Uh, to everyone listening, I appreciate you guys tuning in this week and remember to stay authentic this week. Peace.